Hey everyone, this is Danny, and I'm back with an all-new edition of the all-new All Awesome Podcast, and I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm a little frustrated because uh, I had a really cool uh, treat for you guys this week, which was myself and my friend Adam were going to record uh, a podcast episode all about uh, the Last of Us Two, which I finally uh, finished this past weekend, and Adam had also played the game. We were going to get into a really in-depth discussion about it. We talked for a good hour about the game. We had some re- some really good uh, conversation, and when I played back the episode, uh, the audio was just really really funky. Uh, and so, man, I, um, have definitely not yet mastered, uh, doing a, uh, podcast with another person remotely, uh, via Anchor, the website that I'm using to create this podcast. So I'm going to have to do a little more research into it, um, as to why, uh, some of the remote connections cause such crazy audio issues, um, but uh, in any case, um, I will try to either re-record with Adam or just talk about The Last of Us 2 uh, on my own. Uh, so we'll definitely do that and hopefully soon, but um, on hold for right now. But on that note, I did finish The Last of Us 2, as I said, this past weekend. I have a ton of thoughts about the game. Obviously, you know, some people played it when it came out last summer and just immediately uh, got through it. Uh, It took me several months. So, uh, you know, if you are uh, playing the game or have previously played it, I think you'll be interested uh, when we do eventually get uh, those thoughts about the game live. Until then, though, um, there's still a lot to talk about. First of all, Uh, I'm recording this on St. Patrick's Day, so happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, And this past weekend, we actually watched uh, several Irish-themed movies. Um, We watched uh, Wild Mountain Time, which I had seen previously, but, uh, you know, I really liked that movie. It came out uh, late last year, and, you know, I saw some critics sort of uh, panned it a little bit, but I, I liked it. I thought it's, I think it's a fun movie. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a movie that, uh, is, is enjoyable and it's definitely a St. Patrick's Day movie. That's for sure. Um, and then we watched, uh, two movies that are favorites of mine, um, both of which I I've seen, but it was a lot of fun to rewatch them. One was uh, Calvary, which is a movie from uh, about 10 years ago or so, maybe a little bit less, um, that has Brendan Gleeson uh, and kind of an all-star cast cast of great Irish actors. And it's a really cool drama, sort of mystery drama. Um, I would almost call it a noir in some ways. If it's, it's a noir if a noir could be set in a very bright, green, Irish, countryside setting. Um, 
but it's a really cool sort of meditation about religion and morality. Uh, Brandon Gleason is awesome in it. I like that movie a lot. And then we watched uh, Sing Street, which is one of my favorite movies of the last several years. Um, just a great sort of musical movie, a very loving tribute to uh, 80s new wave music. Um, and just some really catchy, fun songs in it and, and a great coming of age story too. So good stuff there. Um, and so I hope everyone had a good St. Patrick's Day. Uh, maybe had a, a shamrock shake or two. Um, watched some uh, Dropkick Murphys doing their live stream concert just like they did last year. Um, and uh, that being said... I think the big thing that I want to talk about this week to start is the Oscar nominations, which came out on Monday. And man, some interesting stuff in there. There there were some nominations that were certainly expected and some that uh, were not. So why don't I take a minute and just talk through um, some of the nominations. So Let's start from the top here. Uh, Best Picture. So we have eight nominees this year. We have The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, I would say no, no big surprises here. Um, there were a couple of noticeable sort of snubs, I would say. Uh, one would be certainly One Night in Miami. A lot of people thought that would be in the mix. And for me, it's it, it would be, if I could pick, it would be in that nominee list for sure. Um, one other one is, is The Five Bloods, which really got snubbed pretty hardcore at this year's Oscars with really no nominations in major categories. You know, I picked The Five Bloods as my movie of the year for 2020. I loved it. I thought it's one of Spike Lee's best ever movies. I thought Delroy Lindo was phenomenal in it and just delivered an all-time great performance. Um, So the fact that The Five Bloods was not in the best picture category, Spike Lee was not in best director, and Delroy Lindo, Lindo was not nominated for acting, that to me is a huge snub and and it's kind of mind boggling as to how that happened. Um, of the movies that were nominated, I mean, you know, Nomadland certainly I think is the favorite at this point. Um, and I think with good reason as it's just a, a great, great movie as I've talked about um, that I think is a little bit in a league of its own uh, with regards to some of the other nominees that being said, you know, I'm a big fan of Sound of Metal. Really happy that that made the cut. Promising Young Woman, I'm a big fan of. Minari, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I still don't think almost anyone has seen The Father. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely curious to eventually watch it. And uh, it's interesting that it got in, even though, again, like, other than people with screeners and select critics, really no one has seen the movie. So, you know, it, it is, uh, I, I'm curious why the studio has waited to release it until so late. 
it is a little strange. Why not release it in January or February or even March of this year? I think it's scheduled to come out in like mid-April. Um, so yeah, kind of interesting there, but it's a good lineup of Best Picture nominees. I think the two that are a little, I think some people would sort of question a little bit, you know, one Mank, which I liked, but, you know, to me, it's more of a B plus and uh, Trial of Chicago 7, kind of similar. Liked it a lot. I don't know if I'd put it in the best picture category. Um, I would have probably put One Night in Miami instead. The Five Bloods for sure, um, you know, if it were up to me. So best director, this is a really interesting one. So most of the nominees are people who were expected. I think David Fincher, a lot of people you know, thought he was a lock for Mank. Chloe Zhao, uh, certainly the favorite, I think, to win for Nomadland. Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Um, I don't know if everyone predicted her, but it certainly wasn't a shock. Um, and obviously she did a great job with that movie. Um, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. I think that was a pleasant surprise for a lot of people because, you know, we talked about how Minari was snubbed for the Golden Globes in a lot of categories but it did get a lot of Oscar nominations, deservedly so, in my opinion. Um, and then the, the one that, that was a shocker was uh, Thomas Vinterberg for the movie Another Round, which certainly was not on my radar. I didn't hear a lot of people talking about this movie. I think very few people up until this week had seen it, even though it had been available for a while to rent. Uh, on digital platforms, uh, and, and it's a foreign language film. So, um, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why it wasn't on people's radars. But yeah, um, I'm definitely curious to check it out now. Um, and and Thomas Vinterberg, uh, you know, an interesting little curveball there. So very curious to, to uh, you know, check out that movie. Again, I mean... If it were me, Spike Lee should be on there. Um, and uh, I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head right now, but um, the guy who who did Sound of Metal, uh, I, I think, is is deserving as well. Um, just a very, very well-directed movie. So best actor in a leading role, we've got uh, Riz Ahmed, very well-deserved for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman, for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Steven Yeun for Minari. So I think this is a really good sort of well-represented category, um, just loaded with talent. Um, you know, again, whether it's best actor or supporting actor, like Delroy Lindo should have been in one of those two uh, categories. Um, but otherwise really a really uh deserving and and very loaded with talent category there um actress in a leading role you've got viola davis for ma rainey's andra day for united states versus billy holiday which i'm very excited to watch i haven't seen it yet uh vanessa kirby for pieces of a woman which i've not yet seen francis mcdormand for nomadland and carrie mulligan for promising young woman and you know, of the movies I have seen in this category, uh, Viola Davis was amazing. Carrie Mulligan was amazing. Still, personally, I probably have to go with Frances McDormand, who I thought gave just an all-time 
amazing performance in Nomadland. And I know she's won before. Um, and she's sort of a very, uh, you know, evergreen type of, of actor who's always in the mix. But, uh, I mean, she just knocked it out of the park with Nomadland. I would say it's her best performance since Fargo, maybe. So, uh, you know, I think she's probably the favorite. So actor in a supporting role, we've got Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya uh, for Judas and the Black Messiah, then Lakeith Stanfield also for Judas and the Black Messiah, which is interesting, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, and Paul Rachi for Sound of Metal. I was very excited for him. He was phenomenal in that film. So in some ways, he's sort of a sentimental favorite. It is interesting that the two Judas actors are both competing against each other and for supporting actors. So it sort of begs the question of like, okay, well then who was actually the lead actor in that film? Uh, which is, you know, it's sort of a weird situation to be in, but all very good actors, uh, all did a great job in their movies. Um, so it's hard to really pick a clear, a clear winner there. I think Daniel Kaluuya is probably the favorite, um, but we'll see. I guess, you know, it's anyone's game. Um, best actress in a supporting role. So you've got Maria Bakalova for Borat, uh, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, which is so funny because she's also nominated for a Razzie for that movie. You know, a lot of people have sort of poked fun at it, but again, Glenn Close is an Oscar favorite. You know, it's that, kind of big showy performance that seems to you know get people oscar attention um and then you've got olivia coleman for the father again curious to see it amanda seyfried for mank and yu jong yoon for minari and she was great in in minari and apologies by the way if i mispronounce that but um she's almost who i kind of want to win at this point um, although I do, I mean, Maria Bakalova, again, like kind of stole Borat from Borat in a lot of ways, which you've got to give credit for. So very impressive. Um, best animated feature. You've got Onward, Over the Moon, Sean the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. I've got to think Soul is the favorite. I mean, you can never really bet against Pixar and Soul seem to be the movie that that really got the critical acclaim this year. Uh, Again, as I said for the Golden Globes, I give Onward personally a little bit of an edge over Soul. Um, And then there's always the chance that like a Wolfwalkers would, you know, sort of be a a sleeper, but I still would not not bet against uh, Soul in terms of who's going to win. So best adapted screenplay, you've got Borat, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger, which I was really excited to see nominated. I loved uh, The White Tiger, and I wish it got more nominations for things like Best Director, maybe even Best Picture. Um, This one will be interesting. I mean, again, you know, I feel like Nomadland is probably a favorite in just about every category it's nominated in. But we'll see. Um, this one could be open. Um, you know, the father maybe will sneak in there. We'll see. Um, original screenplay, you've got some really good movies. 
Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of Chicago 7. I feel like this is where maybe Promising Young Woman could get a nod um, for screenplay. Um, you know, very sharp, very clever, very innovative screenplay there. Um, but again, all really, really good movies. Uh, so it could be Minari, could be Judas, could be Sound of Metal. Um, and then, of course, Aaron Sorkin for Trial of Chicago 7. Hard to also vet against him just because of his name value and and sort of the credibility he brings to that movie. Uh, I won't go through best original song. Again, I don't know that there's anything that really stands out, um, except, you know, it is nice to see Eurovision nominated for uh, Husavik, which, uh, you know, people love the, the music from that movie. It had a lot of like really funny, well-composed songs. So uh, I'm glad that that got in the mix uh, and maybe we'll win. Best original score. So, you know, you've got Soul, News of the World, Minari, Mank, and Defy Bloods. The one nomination for the Five Bloods for best original score. Who'd have thunk it? Um, you know, I thought Mank had a really good score, News of the World. I feel like <laughs> this is just one pet peeve, but like, I feel like people are going to vote for Soul because it was about jazz music. Uh, did it have the best original score? I don't know, but I don't know. I feel like so many of these, of the way people vote, is just like, you know, you you think that Oscar voters have some sophisticated voting methods. I don't know that they do. I think sometimes they just think of, oh, Soul is a movie about music. It's got the best score. I don't know. Um, best sound, you've got Sound of Metal, which really should win. Uh, it does have sound in the title of the movie. Uh, so again, I would not bet against it. And it does have great sound, though. It has a really just incredible way of immersing you in this world of a person who's losing their hearing. Um, but you've also got Soul, News of the World, Mank, and Greyhound. Um, and I also wonder, in a year where people couldn't really see movies in theaters, if that will have any sort of effect on this category as well. Best Costume Design... You've got Emma, Mank, Ma Rainey, Mulan, and Pinocchio. Uh, I was happy to see Emma get a nomination. I mean, that movie had amazing sort of production and costumes. So who knows? Maybe that could win. Maybe Ma Rainey. I don't know. It's up for grabs. I can never predict these kinds of categories. Um, I'll skip animated short film and live action short film. Cinematography. You've got Judas and the Black Messiah. Mank, News of the World, Nomadland, and Trial of Chicago 7. Again, it's hard to bet against Nomadland for anything in this year's Oscars. Um, although News of the World, man, has some really good, um, well-shot scenes. So curious about that, if that has a chance, maybe Mank as well. Best Documentary. So... Uh, a lot of sort of buzzy movies, which I personally need to catch up on. I've heard a lot of people talk about My Octopus Teacher on Netflix. Um, I'm curious to watch that at some point. And obviously, Crip Camp, which is produced by the Obamas, um, you know, is getting a lot of buzz and is probably a favorite. Although, again, I've heard good things about Time and I've heard good things about Collective. So we shall see. Um, Best documentary short, I'll skip that. Film editing, 
Uh, you've got The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of Chicago 7. Uh, all good. I mean, Sound of Metal, again, had some pretty amazing sort of um, innovative ways that the scenes were, were put together and composed. So that would maybe be my uh, pick, but we'll see. International film, this is where you've got another round, which seems to now be the favorite given that um, it was nominated for Best Director. But we'll see. I have not seen any of these movies so far this year, uh, so I, I, I do want to catch up on some of them. Um, makeup, you've got Emma, Hillbilly Elegy, Ma Rainey, Mank, and Pinocchio. Um, again, Emma, I thought, just did a fantastic job with that stuff, but we'll see. Um, production design, you've got The Father... Ma Rainey, Mank, News of the World, and Tenant. So, you know, Tenant is nominated for that category as well as for visual effects, where it's competing with the one and only Ivan, Mulan, Midnight Sky, and Love and Monsters. I actually do want to watch Love and Monsters. I haven't seen that yet either. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Tenant takes some of the visual categories. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of interesting snubs i talked about the five bloods you also got the mauritanian where jodie foster won the golden globe for best supporting actress was not even nominated for an oscar which is surprising i wonder if just not enough people saw the mauritanian uh i really liked that movie i thought she was great um i'd love to see that movie get a little more attention um and then I Care A Lot on Netflix, uh, Rosamund Pike won, uh, you know, at the Golden Globes for that film, but was not nominated here. And this is where at the Golden Globes you have, you know, comedy categories and you have drama categories. And that allows for sort of a broader contingent of, of actors to get nominated. Um, and so that some of them, some of the really good ones miss out on the Oscars. I would have loved to see Rosamund Pike in the mix there uh, and also just more nominations for I Care A Lot. Really liked that movie, very high quality. Um, I was definitely also hoping that some of the smaller indie movies from this past year might sneak in. Uh, you know, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always was an incredible movie. I would have loved to see that. The Assistant is one I would have loved to have seen in the mix. Uh, Kajillionaire. Um, and then I think there's the usual complaints of like, why doesn't, why don't the Oscars nominate more comedies? You know, Palm Springs is a movie that did really well at the Golden Globes. No Oscar nominations. Um, why not? I mean, just cause it's more comedic means it's not deserving of Oscars. That seems a little silly. I mean, if nothing else, it should have gotten a screenplay nomination. Uh, and, and similar things could be said um, about, you know, other other genres like Invisible Man, you know, is one of the best movies from 2020 in a lot of ways, you know, no Oscar nominations, not even for visual effects, which is strange. Um, and then there's always those sort of left field movies, things like Spontaneous, which sort of defies categorization is a very like young skewing movie and a very non-Oscar type movie. 
I wish it would be though. I mean, why shouldn't a movie like Spontaneous be in the in the mix for the Oscars? So, um, you know, I think for the most part, it's uh, it, it's sort of what we expected. Some notable snubs. Oh, I'll also mention a movie I thought should be in there was um, Let Them All Talk, where Candace Bergen and Diane Weist both gave incredible supporting actress performances, um, and both of those sort of missed out on any Oscar nominations. Steven Sodenberg did a great job as director, too. So that's another movie that, for whatever reason, got a little bit left off. And I think part of it, too, is that, you know, you have these studios, whether it's Netflix or Warner Brothers or whoever, uh, you know, they get behind only so many movies. So that's where you see a Netflix maybe didn't really place their bets on the five bloods. They placed their bets on, uh, you know, some of the other films that they had in their slate, uh, which I, which I get. I mean, they were probably always going to emphasize something like Mank is more of a short bet. Um, but even that said, it is, it is surprising that the five bloods is not more in the mix. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of movies that I wouldn't that I'd be very happy for if they have success, whether it's Sound of Metal, Promising Young Woman, Nomad Land, Minari. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of good movies to root for, and I hope everyone goes and watches these movies. Um, there's so many good movies that came out in the last year, and so many of them are on streaming platforms, or you know you can rent them for a couple dollars from Apple or Amazon in the case of something like Promising Young Woman, check them out. Watch good movies. Uh, don't just spend your time watching the big superhero movies. Check out some of these really, really great movies as well. So we'll talk more about the Oscars in the coming weeks, but I'll be right back with my picks. Of- All right, so my first pick of the week, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit comic books. And, uh, you know, from from DC, we're continuing to get uh, the rollout each week of new uh, sort of uh, new books within their Infinite Frontier initiative, which is providing a new jumping on point for uh, new readers uh, or lapsed readers. Um, or for existing readers who are just looking for sort of a fresh start for a lot of their favorite characters. Um, so all of these books are books are intended to be um, good jumping on points, and they're intended to sort of, um, like I said in previous weeks, I think the goal with Infinite Frontier is to uh, reestablish some of the history and continuity of these characters um and rather than be like a reboot it's more about saying like hey we're looking at the past stories that people loved and we're more so incorporating them back into the continuity of these characters um so one of the um the books that maybe was a little under the radar um but that i was really looking forward to was uh the new creative team that was hopping on board uh nightwing uh, which is uh, a writer named Tom Taylor and an artist named Bruno Redondo. And Tom Taylor has been one of my favorite writers for the last couple of years. 
Um, and I think he's, he sort of snuck up on a lot of people because he was writing um, the Injustice comic book for DC, which was a spinoff of the video game Injustice uh, that was sort of DC's version of Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. And typically, I would say comic book spinoffs of video games don't necessarily have a great track record nor would you expect them to. Um, but I think a lot of people, you know, picked up uh, the Injustice comic books on a whim and, and word of mouth started to spread that they were actually quite good and they were telling a pretty epic story um, and they were written by this guy, Tom Taylor, who at that point was sort of an unknown, but a lot of people were starting to take notice and saying like, wow, this guy can create this epic story out of this video game um, he must be pretty good. And very quickly, he became one of the sort of buzzworthy writers in the in the DC stable. Um, and I really admire what he did with Injustice, where, um, you know, at the end of the day, you could just tell he had a great feel for a lot of the key DC Comics characters. And, uh, you know, he's brought that to everything he's done for DC, and now he's taking over Nightwing, which is a character that has a very defined voice um, and a very defined sort of, um, you know, backstory. And he seems to be doing a great job of it with, in terms of his first issue, really, you know, nailing the character, but also taking the character into some interesting directions. Um, I think, you know, Nightwing can be a tricky character because... It's there's sort of a lot of facets to the character. If you're if you're not familiar, Nightwing is sort of the grown up version of the original Robin, uh, Dick Grayson, who um, the backstory is basically that at some point uh, Robin kind of outgrew the role and be, you know forged his own identity of Nightwing, uh, and this goes back to. You know, the character of Dick Grayson had been Robin throughout, you know, the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and through the 80s. So for many decades, he was Robin without real, really much in the way of personal growth that was happening uh, to him as a character. But in the 80s, uh, Marv Wolfman had a very iconic run writing the Teen Titans and he was also involved in some of the Batman comics of the time. And he sort of gave Dick Grayson this arc in which he was getting a little bit older. He was going to college. He was having some tension with Batman. And eventually he sort of takes on this new identity of Nightwing. And very quickly, Nightwing became one of the most popular characters in DC because it was this rare thing where you got to see this character actually permanently evolve and go from sort of teen sidekick into more adult hero. And there was just a, a really, it was a rare thing in comics in superhero comics to see that evolution take place. Um, and Nightwing had a cool costume. He, you know, uh, had a cool name, a cool logo. He was cool. And so when I was getting into comics in the early nineties as a kid, you know, Nightwing was very quickly one of my favorite characters. And it was just one of those cool pieces of like nerd knowledge that, 
as a kid, you sort of relish of like, hey, did you know that uh, there have actually been three Robins and the first one, you know, grew up and became Nightwing. And it was one of those cool things that like people in the know didn't really know. But you as a comics fan knew. Um, now I think more people know this stuff. But in any case, um, Nightwing has had a lot of good comics, I, I will say. When I was uh, a kid, uh, for a long time, uh, there was a writer named Chuck Dixon who wrote uh, the Nightwing comics and had a very iconic run uh, writing not just Nightwing, but a lot of the Batman-related comics in the 90s. Um, and he was really, really good at giving characters their own voices. So he would, so he sort of pioneered the use of, instead of like thought balloons, like they used to do back in the day, he did a lot of captions that were sort of thought captions and really took you inside the head of these characters. So, you know, the hit, one of his other notable runs was writing, uh, the Robin, comic book that starred the third Robin, Tim Drake. And so that's why I think people who grew up reading that Robin comic really uh, felt like they knew Tim Drake as a, as a person almost and as a character because his voice was so defined. Similar for Dick Grayson, Nightwing, Chuck Dixon gave him a very defined voice and personality, very defined relationships. He created a great supporting cast, great cast of villains, that still kind of when they show up today uh, in any books, it's kind of exciting. Like, oh, wow, that's a Chuck Dixon character. Um, so Chuck Dixon had really the defining run writing, writing Nightwing for a long time. And then there were several other notable runs after that. Um, but I think a lot of times with Nightwing, there's one of two traps that the character falls into. One is instead of getting his own story, he's sort of endlessly caught up in like the Batman, whatever Batman story arc is happening at the time. And so, you know, the Nightwing book tends to get involved in like endless crossovers and, and bigger stories that don't center around Nightwing per se. And then the other issue is that, um, you know, people try and do things with the character that, are attention grabbing because now the character has been a little bit static for a while. And so like during the new 52 era of DC, you know, 10 or so years ago, we saw a whole transition from Nightwing to this comic book just called Grayson, where he became a spy and like a secret agent. And it was a whole thing and it was actually not bad, but it just was so, uh, different that I think at some point people were like, all right, we want the real, you know, Nightwing back. More recently, they had a whole storyline that again was not actually that bad, but it's just sort of, it was another just detour, I guess, of Nightwing lost his memory, uh, sort of adopted this new identity as like a random taxi cab driver. Um, and then it took a few years for him to, regain his memory and uh, become Nightwing again. So now we're back to sort of the status quo. He's finally Nightwing again. He knows who he is. He's, he's going to have new adventures. 
And in this new book by Tom Taylor, it seems to be heavily taking a page from the very acclaimed run of Hawkeye for Marvel that was written by Matt Fraction um, about 10, 15 years ago, where it was a very kind of uh, well-done mix of humor and sort of street-level action um, where it really grounded Hawkeye and it gave him you know, a whole life and a whole neighborhood and cast of quirky characters that were in and out of his life. And, um, you know, it looks like Tom Taylor is trying to do something similar for Nightwing. So, you know, Bruno Redondo's art style is that very sort of, um, uh, you know, streamlined, expressive sort of art that, that was in the Fraction Hawkeye run. And so that is part of the reason I think why people are, are reminded of it. But, you know, this feels like a good mix of very much the voice that we know and love of Dick Grayson, Nightwing, um, but also maybe grounding the character a little bit, making him feel like a normal, modern, you know, 20-something-year-old. And there's a lot of potential. You can tell that Tom Taylor really gets the key relationships, whether it's between uh, Nightwing and Batman or Nightwing and Barbara Gordon, Nightwing and Alfred. Um, and so that makes me excited to see some of the other, you know, characters, whether it's Tim Drake or Damien or Huntress or whoever, or some of the classic villains as well show up um, in the comic. Because again, Tom Taylor just really seems to get these characters well and i'm excited for that little bit of quirkiness and humor um to to be in the nightwing comic because dick grayson is a character who traditionally you know makes jokes and is sort of self-effacing um self-deprecating um and and yet a lot of his storylines over the years have been very serious and melodramatic and so i think it's going to be a really nice change of pace to have the character in this like kind of quirkier, um, more sort of modern type of story, which uh, I think really suits the character well. And it's actually surprising that no one has taken that approach to date really around the character. Um, but I think it's a great fit. Um, you know, he's if he's sort of the classic like 20 something coming of age type of character, then he should have stories that that fit that mold. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited for more. Tom Taylor is a great writer. Um, and this feels like it could be like a really classic run. So it's only one issue in. It just came out this past week of the, of the new creative team, but very promising start so far. Looking forward to more. Definitely check it out. Um, I'm very excited for this new run of Nightwing. <laughs> All right, so my second pick of the week, um, this is something I've given a shout out to before, but I wanted to just give it one more quick shout out um, because there was some good news literally today that uh, the show was renewed for a second season, which is awesome. And the show is Resident Alien, which is on sci-fi. You know, I I, I talked about it after I had only seen the first episode which I really liked and was a fan of, but I did not anticipate that several episodes in, 
and sort of approaching the the finale, it would become maybe my favorite show on TV. Um, I'm absolutely loving Resident Alien, um, and I can't believe how good it is. It is um, hilarious, for one thing. Um, the just comedy of the show is just so spot on, so well done. And Alan Tudyk in the lead, I can't say enough good things about him. He's really just making the show uh, what it is in a lot of ways. And his performance as an alien, um, you know, inhabiting the body of a human and trying to act human and often failing at it. He's so good in this role. Um, and I mean, there's so much comedy that he rings from the premise. Some of it is just literally his delivery of certain lines is just so funny. Um, and I think what's also interesting about the show is that the supporting cast has really grown, uh, over the last several episodes. They've introduced, for example, a character who was, you know, the wife of the person whose body Alan Tudyk is inhabiting, who now returns only to find that her husband seems to be acting very strange. She's not sure what's going on with him. And the the sort of relationship there has been just great. Um, and then there's also sort of a slowly developing mythology where, you know, you have the government, uh, tracking this alien you have uh other members of his alien race that are sort of out there in the wild that are that are looking for him and it's a it's just a combination of like incredible performance from alan tudyk really funny moments and really funny jokes and then a mythology and a overarching uh plot line that's pretty intriguing too and has a lot of fun possibilities um, not to mention one of the government agents looking for him is none other than the one and only Linda Hamilton. Uh, and so that's a lot of fun to see her pop up as well. But uh, I can't say enough about the show. I mean, there's so many things about it that are well done. Uh, another thing I'll just shout out is, you know, there's this sort of subplot of this little boy in the town that uh, Alan Tudyk lives in who has this ability to see him uh, for what he really is, that he's an alien. And so at first, their relationship is such that Alan Tudyk is literally trying to murder him because he doesn't want this kid to expose his true identity. But over time, they sort of form this like grudging respect for each other and become sort of an unlikely duo. And again, it... <laughs> The show is so dark in some ways, but it's also weirdly sweet and has a lot of heart to it, um, which, again, not something I really expected from that first pilot episode. But uh, I can't say enough about um, how well the show has developed and really gotten better and better with each episode. And I will say, like, it's I'm laughing out loud at the show more than I have at any show in a while. Um, so I can't recommend it enough. Um, again, it's on sci-fi, so check it out, you know, whether you have a DVR and can record it, or you can get it on demand, or you can download episodes from iTunes or whatever it is. Definitely check it out. 
I don't know when it will be on streaming other than, than what I just said. Um, but if, if you can't access it from any of those other ways, when it does go on streaming, you've got to check it out if you don't have cable. Um, so Resident Alien, very happy that it's renewed. Um, and it's nice to see sci-fi uh, have a show that people are really liking and that seems to be getting some, some pretty solid ratings as well. Um, you know, it, it is interesting right now in this world where a lot of programming is going to streaming. And some of the traditional cable nets do seem to be struggling to get good programming and to get, you know, viewers. So really cool. I hope people watch the show. I hope people like it. I, I've just been really, really enjoying it. So that's my plug for Resident Alien. All right, so my third and final pick of the week, uh, I wanted to do a music uh, pick, which is a new album from one of my all-time favorite rock stars, and that is Alice Cooper. Um, so I'm a longtime fan of Alice Cooper. I think it took me a while, like when I was a teenager and really into rock, um, I don't know that he was up there for me, but it took me a while to sort of really get into his deeper catalog and um you know i think when i was a teenager and in college i knew some of the hits but over time i started really getting into his full catalog and what i realized about alice cooper is that he's one of the most uh just he of of every major rock star um you know sort of classic rock icon it's hard to think of anyone else who has had the longevity that he's had, but also that has continually evolved throughout every year and every decade. Like he has, um, you know, when he started out in the late sixties and into the seventies, um, he was doing like a very classic rock type of bluesy, uh, style. And then sort of later it became kind of the, you know, in the mid seventies, it became sort of the shock rock, the sort of, uh, dark, um, you know, horror oriented sort of shock rock type stuff. Um, and kind of that glam aspect as well. Um, and then of course in the eighties, uh, you know, in the early eighties, he was doing some really crazy, like experimental new wavy type stuff. Um, and then later on, he really sort of doubled down on the horror and also, of course, had a lot of music that was very much in the hair metal genre in the 80s. And, um, and that sort of continued into the early 90s. And then he did, you know, more grungy stuff, more sort of new metal stuff throughout the later 90s. Uh, and then eventually sort of returned to his you know, classic rock roots and bluesy roots and horror roots. He did a sequel to his classic Welcome to My Nightmare album. Um, and he just continues to churn out great albums. Like, all the subgenres of rock that he's delved into have all been great. Uh, they've all produced really great music. And, um, you know, through it all, he always still has a very distinct voice and a very distinct style. 
and there's always that certain Alice Cooper persona that drives everything and is at the heart of everything that's truly kind of one of a kind. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's now, you know, in his 70s and is still just kicking ass. Um, I've seen him in concert multiple times now. He's always great. And of course, he's one of the best live performers ever with a very elaborate stage show and a lot of fun sort of theatrics. Um, he also has, you know, an incredible band at the moment where, you know, when he started out, he was part of the, uh, the Alice Cooper band um, that was behind some of his early albums. But since then, he's had a lot of different people in his band. But the current incarnation has some incredible players, including uh, a, a true guitar uh, virtuoso in the form of Nita Strauss, who is just an incredible uh, female guitarist, just awesome live, and uh, you know, really gives sort of an energy to Alice Cooper's music that uh, I don't know if anyone else could replicate. So she's been a great addition to the band as well for the last however many years. Um, but so Alice Cooper's latest album, Detroit Stories, just came out. And it's interesting because I would say his last couple of albums have really, like I said, sort of been a return to the more horror um you know, sort of goth type of music that he's maybe best known for. Um, and a lot of those albums have had a very classic rock, um, you know, style to the music, but certainly have had those horror undertones. Um, but this album, Detroit Stories, sort of strips away a bit of the horror stuff. And it's more just a very straightforward uh, classic rock album that, you know, if you read some interviews with Alice Cooper, you know, he talks about how it's very much a tribute to the Detroit music scene that he sort of came out with. And so there's a lot of musical homages to, you know, Iggy Pop and the Stooges and the MC5 and the other sort of Detroit bands from that era, um, including his own sort of, you know, old school sort of style that came out of that Detroit music scene of the, you know, the sixties and seventies. And so this is just like a great straightforward rock album. Um, you know, very old school, but very just jam packed with good songs, you know, um, from top to bottom, just some really good stuff in there. Um, there are some interesting sort of divergences, I guess. Um, the third track is a song called Our Love Will Change the World, um, which is, I guess, a cover, but it's a very unique song where it's sort of sung with a children's choir, and it's sort of a very almost satirically sweet, but, you know, sinister behind the, the, the line or between the lines sort of song um, that... Uh, you know, is a very fun kind of change of pace. Uh, and then, you know, later on in the album, the uh, 13th track is called Hanging On By A Thread, Don't Give Up. And that was, this one's a little bit of an anomaly. It was actually written separately uh, last year during the pandemic. 
um, during the height of the pandemic in the summer and is sort of one of those pandemic anthems uh, that came out last year. And it's a bit of a inspirational song, which is unusual for Alice Cooper, but it's just a really great rock song, really kick ass. Um, but with some really, you know, uplifting and, and, uh, hopeful lyrics. Um, and so sonically it's a bit different in style. It's a more modern type of song than other ones on this album. Uh, but it's a great song and I was happy it was included on the album. Um, really, really cool song and it's earnest, but also has that, again, that Alice Cooper sort of style to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the opening track, which is a, a Lou Reed Velvet Underground cover called Rock and Roll is really is really cool. Um, there's a song called Social Debris that's good. Um, there's a very sort of uh, uh, satirical sort of uh, song called I Hate You that's a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, just again, top to bottom, just good music, good rock and roll one of the uh, most satisfying album purchases I've made in a while. So Alice Cooper is always reliable. That's the thing. I think if you're not a super fan of him, you may not realize that he's actually just been putting out great, great albums consistently, um, you know, throughout the decades, including over the last several years, he's been putting out great albums, uh, very reliable uh, you know, it just seems to get better and better with age. And I mean, man, he just becomes more of a legend every year, I think, because how many rock stars of his generation are still consistently putting out great new albums? Not very many. So my respect for him just grows as a rock star uh, every year. And I hope that soon, I was actually supposed to have seen him again in concert last year which of course was canceled because of the pandemic but you know i'd i'd love to see him again because he always puts on a great show so detroit stories by alice cooper if you're a fan of, of good rock and roll music uh you cannot go wrong, go wrong with this album definitely recommend you pick it up give it a listen uh listen to it however you listen to music i don't know how people even listen to music these days but check out the album. It's full of good stuff. I recommend it. And that is my final pick of the week. <music> 